it fits right into our sermon today as well. Um, it's also great to see uh, to meet Allison because her parents, Larry and uh, Nancy Fong, were actually uh, youth group sponsors uh, when we were growing up <laughs> in Oakland at the church there, and uh, uh, they're still there at the Chinese Independent Baptist Church of Oakland, and uh, where my parents still go. And it's great to see their legacy of faith still uh, living on. Well, Pastor Harrison uh, has uh, t- told me tells me he's been uh, looking at uh, Joshua with you. And so I thought I'd bring a little prequel uh, to Joshua, <laughs> to you this morning, and take a look at the Exodus, a very familiar story. When you think of the Exodus, maybe you think of the 1956 classic uh, Charles and Heston, uh, Yul Brenner movie. It had one of the biggest uh, special effects of that era in the 50s. Uh, there it is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the parting of the Red Sea. It actually works. My goodness, there it is. <laughs> before CGI, before YouTube, uh, that was you paid your big money and got to see that for a few seconds and said, wow, and told all your friends about it. Or maybe uh, the Exodus brings to mind uh, Mo and the Big Exit <laughs> for you VeggieTale fans, uh, another retelling of the Exodus story. Here in America, the story of the Exodus has particular resonance uh, to the African-American story here in America. Uh, the emancipation from slavery, enduring Jim Crow, fighting for civil rights, even now with Black Lives Matter. Uh, when Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, preached his sermon there at the Lincoln Memorial, the I Have a Dream speech, um, his final words, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty I'm free at last, uh, lyrics to a black spiritual that had come out of the Civil uh, War era. And of course, uh, echoing the Exodus, right? Free at last, uh, this Exodus from slavery as the Jews experienced it from Egypt and as uh, African-Americans experienced it here. Uh, But today, I'm actually not going to focus on that particular theme of the Exodus, the freedom from slavery. I'm actually going to focus on uh, what we can learn from the Exodus when it comes to um, discerning God's will, having a sense of God's will in our lives. And as we think about our lives, as uh, even Pastor uh, Harrison and I think back, uh, you know, life unfolds in very unexpected ways, uh, does it not? Every life is unlikely. And the vicissitudes of life, the twists and turns of life are very unlikely. I think I might have uh, shown this before. Some of you have seen this. Uh, and this is uh, Pastor Harrison and I, Dallas Theological Seminary, 1985. So it's 34 years ago. Uh, single, young. Um, you know, and I would say if you look back uh, all those years and you think of how life has unfolded, I mean, there's really just no way we could have predicted at that point uh, how our lives would unfold. Um, We were both thinking of overseas missions at that point. Um, uh, Rita and my wife Lisa were both in our orbits, but uh, in kind of complicated courtship drama fashion, and there's really no way you could have predicted how all that would have worked out. Um, here's Harrison's uh, dorm room there at Dallas Seminary. I think I've returned all the books I borrowed from you, Harrison, uh, already. Here's uh, his study desk, and the thing to notice is in the upper left uh, is a uh, Canadian flag. You see the Canadian flag. And that's, uh, that was for Rita, whom he was uh, courting in dramatic fashion. There's some story about him trying to chase her down in an airport at one point. Very dramatic. A lot of um, <laughs> stories. A lot of stories. Uh, what can we say about the unfolding circumstances of life and what they tell us about God's will? Uh, well, let's take a look at the Exodus and uh, consider what happened there. Uh, the First point I have is, as you think about the unknown conditions that unfold in life, um, 
uh, will find that favorable or unfavorable uh, circumstances are not a reliable gauge of God's will. Favorable or unfavorable circumstances are not a reliable gauge of God's will. Uh, here's uh, Exodus 14, uh, starting at verse 5. The king of Egypt was told that the people had escaped. And you know this story, very familiar story, right? Uh, Moses leading the people out from Egypt. Uh, the king of Egypt was told the people had escaped. Then Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. They said, what have we done? We have let the people of Israel go. We've lost our slaves and the work they used to do for us. So he had his chariots made ready. He took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots in Egypt. He took along also his other chariots. Officers were in charge of all of them. The Lord made Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, stubborn. So we chased the Israelites as they were marching out boldly. The Egyptians went after the Israelites. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops chased them. They caught up with the Israelites as they camped by the sea. Okay, let's say for some reason uh, uh, Pharaoh's army came to chase us here. Let's say for some reason <laughs> Pharaoh's army showed up and they went to chase down the people of Living Hope. Where would you go? Where would you go to escape from Pharaoh's army? Here you are at 1300 Sheffield, and where would you go? Well, what you wouldn't do is you wouldn't go uh, west to the ocean, of course, that wouldn't make any sense. You probably wouldn't go up the peninsula, you wouldn't go up 101, right, because then you would end up dead end in San Francisco. You probably wouldn't head up 880 because there's all this congestion, you know, there's always congestion in Hayward, I don't know, it's just, you wouldn't go that way. The obvious thing you would do, right, is head south on 101, I think, right? That would be the thing, because then you can get out and, you know, cross 152, get into Highway 5, and you have the whole valley, and, you know, eastward, you could go from there. Um, southward, uh, that's the thing you would do. The one thing you would not do, what you would not do is head up to Great America, in that whole area, Levi Stadium. You would not head up there, head up to El Viso, and find the biggest salt pond you can find, and have your back to the water, and say, this is how I'm going to escape, right? You would not do that. That would be the exact worst thing you could do if you were trying to escape Pharaoh's armies. But, in fact, of course, that's exactly what the Israelites did, right? As God led them, uh, where did they find themselves? They found themselves with the back, their backs to the seas. And, and yet, it was exactly there. It was exactly there with their backs to the seas that they were in God's will, right? God was leading them. They find themselves with their back, backs to the sea. Favorable, very unfavorable circumstances, right? Very <laughs> maximum unfavorable circumstances. And yet it was those unfavorable circumstances uh, where they found themselves exactly in God's will. Favorable or unfavorable circumstances are not a reliable guide uh, to whether or not you are in God's will. Another way of putting that is that um, getting what you want is not necessarily a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> right? Getting what you want is not necessarily a good idea. Um, I'm sure the Israelites didn't want to be there, right? In fact, we'll read on how they really didn't want to be there, and yet um, that was, in fact, where God had led them. And you think about our lives, how we're called to die to ourselves. I love these beautiful words that you shared, Allison, about, you know, if God had not healed, I still would trust him and have faith in him. Um, favorable or unfavorable circumstances, right? Uh, I'm going to accept God's will for my life, even for my physical health. Um, no matter what. And so as we're called to die to ourselves, uh, that means the normal Christian life that you and I are called to is actually about, a lot of it is about God leading us to places we don't want to be, places that we don't want to be. And I think back on my life, I'm 58, and I think back and 
I think about all the places. Yeah, what were the seasons where I prayed the most? <laughs> you know, those were the seasons where I was in places I did not want to be. You know, some of those courtship, romance, drama seasons, <laughs> you know, where things were not working out the way we, Harrison and I wanted them to. And, uh, and we prayed, like, you know, like our lives depended on. I think about uh, different ministry seasons I've been through where I've been at churches where train wrecks happen, you know, totally unexpectedly, things that went very bad uh, for different people and different things in ministry, people making bad choices, and uh, just horrible, gruesome seasons. And yet, man, that's when we prayed like our lives depended on it. That's when we learned to depend on God in ways that we had not learned how to before. Other personal crises in my life and different things that have happened in my family, you know, all these, you know, long list of things that I could tell you about, places we did not want to be. And yet, uh, those were the places God led us and where God taught us things we needed to learn and would never have learned otherwise. How to trust God no matter what, right? You're never going to learn how to trust God no matter what unless he takes you somewhere you don't want to be, right? So... So in your personal life right now, whatever you're going through, whatever new uh, Living Hope is going through, it's, uh, whatever you're going through at school or work or ministry and your family and your personal life, uh, whatever uh, parts of those look unfavorable are places you don't want to be, the things you're praying for God to change. And maybe he will change them. But as long as he asks you to endure those things, uh, that's not a sign that you're not in God's will any more than the Israelites with their backs to the sea was a sign that we're not in God's will. In fact, they were exactly in God's will. Uh, learning to trust God in a new way um, that they needed to learn. And as a matter of fact, even favorable circumstances, and if we jump ahead and we'll see, you know, we'll go on in the text, but uh, for a moment, you know, you know how the story ends. It has a happy ending, (laughs) right? I mean, God splits the sea, right? And they get to walk on dry land and Pharaoh's armies get defeated. Does that solve Israel's problems? Does that fix all their problems? No. It does not. In fact, they have some further um, blessings and and positive circumstances under Joshua, right, that Pastor Harrison has been looking at with you, getting into the promised land and so forth. But, you know, after that, you guys, you've read your Bibles. You know the story. Like the whole, the four centuries under the judges, was that Israel enjoying having all their problems fixed? No. (laughs) It goes with these seven cycles of the judges and sin and judgment and obedience that leads to sin and judgment. I mean, like around and around it goes. It does not, getting into the promised land does not solve their problems. It really doesn't. And on it goes from there. The Egyptian captivity, the exodus happens uh, eventually, centuries later, after um, the uh, monarchy, you get the Assyrian captivity, Babylonian captivity, the Persian captivity, Greeks, the Romans, Jesus is born, right? Getting into the promised land did not solve their problems. Favorable circumstances did not solve their problems. And so it is uh, with us. Um, If we're going to look for a guide for God's will, it's not going to be in circumstances, favorable or unfavorable. Uh, So the the logic of our circumstances are not a reliable guide to God's will. Uh, We can also uh, reflect that uh, our feelings about those circumstances are not a reliable guide to God's will. Kind of just a corollary from logic to emotions. Emotionally favorable or unfavorable circumstances are not a reliable guide to God's will. Uh, Reading on in Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked back. There were the Egyptians marching down after them. The Israelites were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, why did you bring us into the desert to die? Weren't there any graves in Egypt? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? We told you in Egypt. 
Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You will see how the Lord will save you today. Do you see the Egyptians? You will never see them again. Wow, that's a lot of faith. The Lord will fight with you. Uh, the Lord will fight for you. Just be still. I love this text. Uh, the Israelites complain, right? Why did you? Why didn't you just let us stay in Egypt? We were perfectly happy there. We could, you know, we love serving the Egyptians. <laughs> you know, we don't want to die in the desert. And how does Moses reply? How does God, speaking through Moses, reply? Does he scold them? Does he say, forget you guys then? <laughs> no, he actually just says a word of hope and a word of encouragement to them. Uh, he does not, um, God's grace covers their, their whining, <laughs> right? And um, neither God nor Moses scold them or abandons them. Um, what I love about this is God, yeah, you, you can read through the book, you know, read through the Psalms. How many of the Psalms is somebody complaining to God, right? And I don't know, for some reason in our spirituality, I, I find a lot of people, they, they don't think this is okay. It's not okay to be mad at God. It's not okay to, to tell God you're upset at him. No, it's perfectly okay. Read the scriptures, you know? Read the Psalms. People get upset with God all the time. He's big enough. He can take it. Uh, what he doesn't want you to do is stop talking to him. That's what he doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to stop talking to him. Keep talking to him. Tell him what's on your heart. He knows what's on your heart anyway. He knows your complaints. He knows you're mad. <laughs> it's okay. Tell him about it. Keep talking. Um, you can see here, here they are complaining about um, where God has led them, and Moses uh, responds with hope and um, encouragement. It's okay to not like where God has put you. It's okay. It's okay to complain about where God has put you. That is okay, absolutely okay. I don't, you know, Allison, if we could hear your prayers from, you know, when you were really in the deep of it, I'm sure, very upset prayers, right? That's okay. Totally okay, 100% okay. Tell God what's on your heart. Tell God how you're feeling. He, uh, he wants to hear you. He doesn't mind. So emotionally, uh, our, how we feel about circumstances is not a reliable God, uh, guide to God's feelings. There they are, chariots of Pharaoh uh, coming uh, to kill the uh, Israelites. They're terrified. They complain. They whine. And God works an amazing miracle, right? God works an amazing miracle. And, um, and rescues them. And yet, even that does not solve their problems, as we saw. <laughs> they go into the promised land, they sin again, it goes on and on and on and on. And um, circumstances alone uh, do not change things. Uh, so logically, negative or positive emotions are not a, a reliable God, guide to God's will. Uh, uh, emotionally positive or negative uh, circumstances are not a reliable guide to God's will. I have a third reflection for you, a little more complicated, so put your thinking caps on. Uh, my third reflection for you is that looking at the Old Testament without New Testament eyes is not a reliable guide to God's will. Looking at the Old Testament through New Testament without New Testament eyes is not a reliable guide, a reliable gauge of God's will. And so you know how the story ends from uh, Exodus 14. Uh, the summary at the end says this. Uh, Exodus 14, 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. There was a wall of water on their right side and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of Egypt. The Israelites saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. The Israelites saw the amazing power of the Lord uh, that he showed against the Egyptians. So the Israelites had a great, had great respect for the Lord and put their trust in him, which was the point of the whole thing, right? 
They put their trust in him. They also put their trust in his servant, Moses. So uh, at this point, Exodus 14, of course, this is a super happy story if you're an Israelite, right? God comes through in just a spectacular way, a, you know, technicolor <laughs> spectacle, you know, amazing kind of way. Um, uh, uh, what had been a logical and emotional catastrophe there, right? Oh, we're backed up against the sea. We're going to get killed. Moses, why did you bring us here? A catastrophe, logically and emotionally, becomes an illogical uh, but uh, spectacular, emotionally spectacular miracle, right, of deliverance that God works out. I suppose my own family story is a little bit of, a, uh, of an Exodus story, a uh, small e Exodus. Uh, here's a picture of me growing up. Actually, no, this is not me growing up. This is me growing up if my grandparents had not uh, come across the Pacific Ocean from China. Uh, if they had not come from, you know, come across the ocean from, from southern China, that would have been me raising water buffalo in the, in the paddy rice fields of, of southern China. But 100 years ago, my grandparents did make it over here and uh, settled in Oakland, and we've been here ever since. And so... Um, Escaping not slavery, but escaping, you know, just dirt poor poverty and violence and chaos there in southern China at that time and uh, making it here to these shores. Uh, here's my maternal grandmother, and there's her, um, one of her immigration documents coming across, stopping at Angel Island. That's not a picture of her in Angel Island, but uh, one of the pictures that we have uh, from the textbooks on Asian Angel Island. Uh, she uh, ended up raising a family here in downtown, in Chinatown, Oakland. That's the house where my mother grew up. It's still there on 7th Street. One fine day uh, in the early 1940s, she brought her family to uh, Treasure Island, which is, was a big, uh, a big uh, fair, uh, uh, regional fair that uh, had put on in Treasure Island there. And uh, they're, they're all dressed up. My Grandmother worked as a seamstress in Chinatown doing piecework, kind of sweatshop work, and she made all those clothes for her kids. Uh, my mom is the second one from the right, and this was a big, big, big deal. She didn't, she never learned English. <laughs> Somehow she made her way, she raised the, can you imagine what that, that is a really brave, that's braver than anything I'm going to do in my life. I tell you, bring you, emigrate over, raise a family somewhere, totally foreign land, you don't speak the language. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of, a, and um, it's really kind of an amazing story. And then years later, here she is with uh, her grandchildren. I'm, uh, the, I'm in the back there with the blue shirt on the right uh, by the blinds and uh, some of my cousins. And, uh, you know, we've all grown up and mostly gone to college, have families now, you know. It's really you know, the exodus in terms of the exodus. You know, it's kind of the American dream, I suppose, working out in a lot of ways in our lives. Uh, certainly, uh, I have no plans to go back to China and learn how to raise rice with water buffalo, right? It's like, I'm not going to say my life is better, <laughs> you know, absolutely speaking, but I'll, I'll take it. And yet, uh, if, uh, you know, if we had some time and I could tell you the stories of all my cousins and if we could expand this picture to be all my extended family, all the relatives, yeah, sure, we're thankful that our grandparents made their way here and made that very brave journey, and we've gotten to enjoy the education and first world standard of living, you know, and opportunities that we have here. That's all good. And yet, if we had enough time, I could tell you stories of marriages that didn't last. I could tell you stories of cancer. I could tell you stories of uh, mental illness. I could tell you stories of addictions. 
I could tell you stories of all kinds of things, car accidents, you know, all kinds of things, you know, immigrating across the ocean. I'm thankful for it. Here I am standing, grateful. But it didn't solve all our problems, right? It didn't solve all our problems. And uh, people still get sick. People still die. People still struggle with things. People still get enmeshed in sins. People still make bad choices. And so the, our little exodus, our family exodus, in fact, uh, did not solve all our problems. And yet we're glad we came here. So how do we look at uh, the Old Testament through New Testament eyes? Okay, you still have your thinking caps on? Uh, take a look at this. This is um, uh, kind of small for you. I can read it to you. This is uh, Deuteronomy 7. Um, uh, Moses says, if you listen to the regulations, if you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, this is after the second giving of the law. So here's the law. You've gotten into the promised land. You're going into the promised land. This is the law that you need to keep. If you keep these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised uh, with an oath to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you. He will give you many children. He will give you fertility to your land and your animals. When you arrive to the land, he swore to you uh, to give to your ancestors, you will have large harvests of grain and new wine, olive oil, great herds of cattle and goats. You will be blessed above all the nations of the earth. None of your men or women will be childless. All of your livestock will bear young, and the Lord will protect you from all sickness. He will not let you suffer from the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt. Uh, you will have convenient parking spaces. You will have excellent coupon specials. You'll have great mortgage rates and guaranteed low prices on your cell phone plans. You will have everything good. Your, your kids will get into the best colleges. You will enjoy the good life. <laughs> Here's God's promises, right? You know, my, my the, you know the Chinese uh, nickname for California was uh, Gold Mountain, right? Comes on. And so my grandparents come to Gold Mountain, and, uh, you know, we've, yeah, I suppose we've enjoyed some of that, that wealth that was created here. And here God is promising the Israelites all this, all this good stuff, right? Good health, prosperity, long life. What, what, could, what more could you ask for? Well, uh, that's the Old Testament. Let's put on our New Testament glasses. New Testament glasses, okay? Here's what Jesus says. He says, Matthew 6, very familiar passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, Harrison and I memorized the whole Sermon on the Mount when we were in college. For that college age? Yeah, and uh, all three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and we, uh, we um, uh, uh, <laughs> did a little performance for our church. And this is part of that, Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up treasure here on earth where, moth, uh, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Very familiar verse, right? Well, that's super different than Deuteronomy 7, right? That's super different. Deuteronomy 7 is, hey, obey my word and you will live large. <laughs> you will have all the stuff. You will get the stuff. And here, Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, don't put your heart in the stuff. In fact, set aside the stuff. Concentrate on eternal things, right? And, um, and do not store up treasure on earth. Well, why the difference? Why does the New Testament look uh, differently? New Te why does the Old Testament look differently through New Testament glasses? Well, I think the, basic, the easiest way to understand it is God had not told the Old Testament believers very much about the afterlife yet. He had not told them about heaven and hell. 
they knew there was an afterlife. They talked about Sheol. You guys, uh, you study your, um, the Psalms, you know they talk about Sheol. Sheol was kind of this place that everybody went after they died. And you know how sometimes when you wake up and you're, you're conscious but you can't quite move yet, you know, you're kind of a little bit kind of half paralyzed. You know, you're, you're, you're aware but you know, you're still not. You, that's the way Sheol is. You know, you're, you're conscious, you're aware, but you're not, you know, you really can't do anything. You're still not fully waking up. That's Sheol. Uh, you can't, you know, you're there, you're alive, but you can't really do anything. That's all they knew about the afterlife. That's all they knew about the afterlife. Uh, they didn't really know much about, they had not been told much about uh, the afterlife. They had not been told about heaven and hell. Even texts, uh, familiar texts like Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We take that with our New Testament eyes. We think that's talking about heaven, right? But back then, no, that meant I will have a long life and I will continue to go to the house of the Lord, which is the temple in Jerusalem. I will go to the house of the Lord for a long life. That's what that meant to them. Uh, they didn't have our kind of philosophical sense of unbounded time, that kind of forever. Um, so um, without that sense of eternity, that means all they knew was this life. And if God's going to bless you, it's got to happen in this life, right? If he's going to reward you, if he's going to punish you, it's got to happen in this life. That's the New Testament perspective. Their horizon uh, was more limited. And so uh, those blessings that God promises in Deuteronomy 7 and texts like that um, uh, refer to his uh, working in this life. Uh, think about a text like uh, Philippians uh, 4. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. This is Apostle Paul, right? I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yeah, that's a very familiar verse. It's even on Steph, Steph Curry's uh, sneakers, I think. <laughs> I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Um, uh, but it's talking specifically about being content. I can do all things, meaning I can be content in all circumstances, in plenty or in want. Uh, now, do you think it's easier to be content in plenty or in want? <laughs> I suspect it's actually harder to be content in plenty, right? Because when you have a cell phone, then you want a better cell phone. <laughs> when you have high-speed internet, you want higher-speed internet, right? And, uh, and so on and so on. Um, uh, but to being content in need... You know, Deuteronomy 7 is not saying, you know, God, you know, Moses did not say, I want you to go into the promised land and be content with little. No, he's saying, I want you to go to the promised land and obey me so you can live large, <laughs> right? No, but here, New Testament glasses. Be content in plenty or in want because this life is just a training ground. This life is boot camp. This life is a degree program for our real life, which is to come. And in the Old Testament, they didn't know about that. And so you have to put on these New Testament glasses uh, to look at those Old Testament kind of promises. I think about my own uh, uh, experience with uh, running. So when I was uh, turning 50, I decided uh, I would try running a marathon because, uh, you know, other people do it. Why couldn't I, right? So I was turning 50. Why not try? And I managed to do it. And then um, at some point, I decided I would try for a goal. I would try to qualify for the Boston Marathon, which is uh, pretty tough. And it seemed like an unreachable goal. I didn't know if it was even possible. But I decided to try. I ended up trying for three years. I ran six different races where I was gunning for this particular time. And when I finally did make it last year, the reason I made it is because I finally decided, okay, you know what? I just have to do all those things I don't want to do. I don't want to do core exercises. I hate those. <laughs> 
I don't want to do that interval work, those, those runs that I just do not look forward to at all, you know? And there's all these other parts of training that you just have to do. You don't feel like it. You don't want to. But you just have to do it if you want to make this certain time, right? And so, um, so it is with life. This life, this side of heaven is, is training. That's what it is. It's doing stuff all the time. You don't feel like doing. And yet, uh, God asks you to do. One more example. Uh, look at this pair. Whoops. Uh, Psalm 6. Uh, Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? Right? See? Flat out. He didn't know about the afterlife. He thought, once you die, it's over. I can't, I can't praise you anymore, God, so keep me alive. Because <laughs> if, you, if you let me die, I can't praise you anymore, okay? That's the logic when you don't know about, very much about the afterlife. Compare that with uh, uh, Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? In the Old Testament, nobody ever says, for me to live is good, but to die is gain. Nobody ever says to die is gain in the Old Testament, right? Because they didn't know about the afterlife. They didn't know that this life was just training ground for the life to come. I actually do, I'm sorry, I actually do have one more uh, pair for you. Here's Psalm 41. Uh, the joys of, uh, oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them, keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity, rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. There it is. Another promise of blessing in this life. And of course, uh, compare that with uh, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. He has his thorn in the flesh. I have, uh, my guess is that it was actually a problem with his eyes, which would be especially uh, heartbreaking for somebody who was a scholar like Paul, right? To have eye problems, not be able to read, you know, not be able to write. Um, he pleads to the Lord to take this away, and the Lord chooses not to, actually. The Lord chooses not to, and tells Paul, my grace is sufficient to, for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Of course, God does very often grant healing every day just through the amazing design of our bodies, uh, often through the gift of uh, medicine and uh, medical care. Uh, sometimes God does heal just mysteriously and miraculously, right? And uh, we give thanks for that. But in the end, a death is still batting a thousand. You know, living is really dangerous. Living is dangerous. If you do it long enough, it'll kill you. Yeah, it will. Uh, all our good science and public health, we've dramatically raised the average age of death, but we have not raised um, the maximum age of humans. And we certainly not have done anything to uh, eliminate the certainty of death. So once again, with our Old Testament uh, promises, we look through New Testament eyes and we see uh, uh, that eternal perspective that we need that tells us that circumstances, including hardship and suffering and illness and dying, right, are all, can all be all part of God's plan for us. Okay, I've mostly told you that circumstances in general and how um, we view them are neither good or bad necessarily in and of themselves as guides to God's will. So let me give you a few texts to uh, reflect on as uh, what I turn to, some of my favorite texts about God's will. Uh, one of my favorite texts as we think about uh, life as it unfolds, uh, one of my favorite texts is Ecclesiastes 3. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. And once again, that eternity in Hebrew is not our philosophical, unbounded, infinite eternity. It means ages. Like I would say uh, back in, if I use the Hebrew word eternity, Back in Olam, uh, my, my ancestors were, 
rice farmers in southern China. You know, of course, you would think that it's just generations and generations. It's not forever and ever. You know, before the Big Bang, kind of. You know, whatever. Uh, God has said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Okay, so we do have this longing to figure it all out, to know how, what, how it all fits together, right? God has put that in our hearts. Um, but we will not fathom it. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning and end. We will not figure it out. You will not figure life out. You will not make sense of it all. You will not. So what to do? I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy, to do good while they live, that they may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is a gift from God. So there is a plan to life. In faith, we believe God is working things out uh, according to his perfect will. And we do long to understand it all, but we are not going to understand it all. So the best thing to do is to do the best with what we've been given, the lives we've been given, to enjoy the simple things in life, including just eating and drinking, you know, uh, the simple things in life, to take what satisfaction we can from our work and to receive all of that as a good gift from God. That's God's will for us. How about 1 Thessalonians 5.16? Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for you is? What's God's will for your life? Especially those of you who are younger, you got choices ahead of you, what school to go to, who to marry, all these things, you know, where to live. That's God's will. Here's God's will for you. Never stop praying. Always be joyful. Be thankful in all circumstances. Well, that doesn't tell me which school to go to. Well, maybe what matters is not so much what school do you go to, but whether when you get to whatever school you go to, you choose to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful, (laughs) you know? That's God's will for you. Doesn't matter where you go to school, maybe, as much. Uh, What matters is that you're able to make these choices. And you can do these things anywhere, right? Any circumstances, favorable or unfavorable. You can be joyful, you can pray, you can be thankful. And of course, in doing so, and especially if we do so in unfavorable circumstances, circumstances that do involve suffering and death, if we choose to be joyful, prayerful, thankful, we are only following our Lord, right? We're only being like Jesus, whom we claim as our Savior and our Lord. Uh, Paul puts it this way, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in death, if so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. God's will for his son's, the Father's will for his son's life involved maximum suffering, right? Maximum unfavorable circumstances maximum emotionally undesirable circumstances. And yet that was precisely the Father's will for Jesus and precisely what brought about the amazing miracle of our salvation, right? The best thing we could have asked for of all. Uh, So those are my reflections for you uh, this morning, thinking about God's uh, will and uh, our circumstances, uh, thinking most of all about what it means to follow our Lord through all the different seasons of life. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, the good people here of Living Hope. I thank you for uh, Pastor Harrison and for Rita and for their years of ministry.